Thank you, Elizabeth. How are you guys this morning? Um, welcome to Vintage. Uh, excited that you guys are here. We are entering into, if you're new, we're entering into a season. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, at least the first three chapters this fall as a church. And we have small groups that are uh, going to be a part of all that. And you're going to hear more about that as we go on through the morning. Um, uh, in this prayer for, for Mama T um, Tuesday night, I found myself, you know, I, I don't remember how many people were here Tuesday night at our time of, of prayer. But um, one of the things that uh, Harvest was leading us in worship, and as we had this time of praying for Tammy, she's like, she's got this kind of image. She's like, you know, I just, and, and trying to figure out a way to say it, just seeing um, Mama T going through the customs and like really hurrying She's like, you know, Lord, just give her like some like supernatural, like superpowers to walk fast, like Flash Gordon or something, you know, and it was kind of a, a chuckling moment. And then you you heard you saw on the video, it's like I felt like the Lord is telling me to go fast, you know, and uh, it's just funny how simple little things like when you add up, you know, a thousand different stories in in Mama T's life. It's like, OK, you could say you could say any one of these are coincidences, but how are you going to say every one of these specifically when she feels led to pray or when we feel led to pray that it just happens the way it's imagined every time. Like either this whole thing is, is either God's really real and true or, or we're crazy and fools um, or he's not. And if he's not, what does that mean for you and for for me? And, and that's really what we're what we're here for, because we're not really here for just coming and, and spending some time to be entertained by, you know, a band or or a speaker. We're really here to try to connect with and discover what is what is the Lord doing and how do we join him in that thing? And 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 where that where we're missing that as a priority or the priority in our life, then I would say we're probably missing life. Definitely missing the life that he's called us to and and that's part of what we're going to look at this morning is is as we're ramping up next week, uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter one. We'll actually dive into the study and starting next Sunday, the small groups um, begin. So if you've not signed up for one of those, you can do so online. And again, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. I'll explain how that works. But um, as I was praying Tuesday night, um, I, I, in this time of praying for Mama T, I felt um, like I needed to not worry about praying that she gets through customs. And instead, I just felt a piece about that um, and just began praying that God would allow himself to be seen about five minutes later. Sure enough, Harvest is like, Lord, just just begin praying that you let yourself be seen. You see, if you've been coming to church for a while, you've probably heard a number of different sermons of a lot of different teachings of Jesus. And one of those stories that you may have heard was this time when Jesus was standing with this woman at a well. And she was a person who was living her life very much apart from God being the, the primary focus. And and Jesus, Jesus' disciples had left to go gather some supplies or something. And he's standing with this woman and he begins to tell her all the things that she's done. And it's like she's blown away and amazed right, at all his ability to bring about these coincidences that he can tell her all the details of everything she's been a part of in her life. And in doing so, she quickly discovers that, wow, is this the Messiah? And she goes and tells all her friends in the in the village that have I found the Messiah? He just told me everything that's happened in my life. And the disciples come back and they see him talking to this woman. And evidently he had been fasting and he must have looked 
weak or pale or something. They're like, please eat some food. And we see the story in John chapter four. And Jesus says, you know, my food is to do the will of my father. It's not the things of nourishment that I'm looking for from substance that we eat when we leave here to go to lunch. It's my, my food is to do the will of my father. We hear, we hear David say in Psalm 40, verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. That there's this excitement, there's this purpose that Jesus explains to us in the story is to do his father's will. You see it throughout the book of John. If you go through that gospel, you'll see, see him saying this over and over again a number of different ways. And there's this reality that we have to confront ourselves with. As we call ourselves Christian in this day and age in the Western culture, how much of our lives and how much of our heart and how much of our motivation aligns with what Jesus says his heart and motivation is? How much of the substance of what we long for and find nourishment is in in this life is to say, I'm I'm living to find the father's will and to participate and join it. Because that's what you're about to get challenged on today. We're going to look at, as we're preparing for this Ephesians story, we're going to look at this reality that historians describe as they look at the the first century church. You see, the first century church was was maybe a little bit different than what you and I have described and understand the the, the church to be. They, they met in homes. They met in small, small settings. There weren't big buildings to go to. It was a movement. It wasn't it wasn't an, an organized religion at that point. Um, historian Rodney Stark, he's a sociologist with the University of Washington, an author. He wrote the book um, Rise of Christianity. He, he unpacks what took place in this in this in the beginning phases of this church of Jesus Christ. And he starts with looking at the reality of after Jesus death that there were in, in Pentecost, there were maybe a name of 5000 followers of Jesus. You know, Peter stands up to preach. If you read the book Acts and, and, and 3000 come come to believe in Christ that day. And so you have this this 40 days after Christ's resurrection, the church just beginning to start and and start points out that this is one one thousandth, you know, less than a percent of the entire Roman Empire population wise that are Christians. And yet 350 year within the next 350 years, more than 56 percent of the of the Roman Empire had become Christian. Just imagine that this movement that started and and began to grow so rapidly that it literally swept across the world, the known world that that we that that we had and this amazing movement. And that's what we're going to look at is like what was taking place in this new society like the world had never seen before. You see. What caught my eye and what when Steve and I talked about Ephesians and doing the study of Ephesians this fall back in May, it was John Stott's statement of the church, this new society. And you and I have to be able to embrace that and recognize that there's this description. We're not just picking up God's word and and, and saying we're going to study it and understand what it says. It's this reality that there is a change taking place in the lives of people that make up this body, this community that is causing this change, this overflow, transforming change that the world stood and noticed. Eugene Peters says it this way. He said, the world looked at the church and loved what they saw. Now, how different is that than what maybe where the church's status is in our culture and today? 
You know, as we look into this study of Ephesians, we have to be able to look and recognize the the cultural things that stand out to us that are holding back the reality of what we see being presented in the, in the New Testament. And so we're going to take a look at some of the things you probably never heard about or knew about unless you've studied church history. But um, there was this movement that was taking place. And here's some of the key things that were happening in this movement there, that relationships we're moving and understood between God and mankind and mankind and God that were different than what the pagan world had ever known before. So I'm going to read a, a statement to you from from Stark's book. He says something distinctive did come into the world with this development of this judo Christian thought. What was new was the notion that more than self-interested exchange relationships were possible between humans and the supernatural. The Christian teaching that God loves those who love him was alien to to pagan beliefs. That from the pagan perspective, what matters was the service that the deity could provide since a God, as Aristotle had long thought, could feel no love in response to that effort. Equally alien to paganism was the notion that because, because God loves humanity, Christians cannot please God unless they love one another. Indeed, as God demonstrates his love through sacrifice, humans must demonstrate their love through sacrifice on behalf of one another. Moreover, such responsibilities were to be extended beyond the bonds of family and tribe. Indeed, all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were revolutionary ideas. You see, as we look at this first century church, we have to recognize these major places like Nobody had conceived that, okay, they'd all understood that gods are distant and far off. They don't have feelings toward us. And here is Christ. Come God, come in the form of a man presenting himself and laying down his life as a sacrifice. How ridiculous and how different, how outside the the cultural norm this reality was. But it doesn't stop there. You see, there were these social norms ethically in the in the. In the Roman world, things were, it was like a caste system. And at the top of the, 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 the chain were the senators. And below the senators, then there's the class of the equestrians. And then the decurions. And then the Roman citizens. And then the free people. And then the slaves. And here is this group of people that are following Jesus' teaching and following in his way. And by the way, that's, all, that's the only way they knew their, that's what they were called. The people of the way. Because they were following in the way of Jesus. The term Christian had not yet come around. They weren't understanding that they were Christ followers. They were following in the ways of his teaching. And, and the world had never seen anything like it before. Because these teachings were revolutionary. And so what we find is that in this Roman culture, this caste system, that the top of the, the top rung, you know, if you went to a party or you went to a dinner, you know, these senators and equestrians would essentially have a buffet of food before them and they would go through and get whatever they want until they were full. And then after they got what they want, then the next group of people would come, the, the decurions or the Roman citizens. And then, you know, whatever food started to get left over, then the free people would be able to have some. And if there were scraps left on the table, then the slaves were welcome to take and clean up. But there was this movement. There were these people of the way following in Jesus ways. And he said that I came not to 
not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. And these Christians, this movement, this spirit of God began moving in people's hearts and changing lives before their very eyes. And it became different. Their character began, began to be shaped differently. Their morals and their convictions became different because the spirit of God was coming to live in them. And there was this was good news. You see, this gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel, that term means good news. And where if it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that means that it's good news for everybody who hears it. That means it's good news for you. That means it's good news for me. That means it's it's good news for Tim and the people that Tim works with, because where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not good news to those who hear it or see it. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ because his gospel comes to transform. Not just transform the world we live in, but transform the character and the heart within each of us. And where are we getting on board with that transformation? You see, it was transforming the hearts of, of these leaders, these equestrians, that no longer were the, they were coming together in a home to eat a meal. And here was the equestrian, the, the owner of the home, and he held out a cup. And he offered bread to the slave and he says, come eat and drink. Come take of in remembrance of the sacrifice of the one in whom I follow. As I want to serve you. And at this table, it's not the place for you to serve me. You see, this this was the world being flipped upside down in this culture, in this people. We see this we see this picture of of every time that 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 Jesus is being mentioned and people are coming into into the saving faith and having an encounter and experience with the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their own lives, that something powerful was happening and hopes were raising everybody that witnessed what was taking place. Their hopes got up. You see, it was a hard place. It was a difficult place. There were those who when we look at families, we see this reality that in this in this Greco Roman culture, like other ancient cultures, to kill unwanted babies, those who were deformed, those who were female or illegitimate, they were, they were left outside to be killed by the elements or to be eaten by wild animals, historians say. Exposure of unwanted, the exposure of unwanted infants was legal, morally accepted, and widely participated by all social classes in the Greco-Roman world. One Roman soldier writes a one loving husband writes a letter to his wife and he says, know that I am still in 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 Alexandria and I beg you to take good care of our baby son. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. You have sent me word. Don't forget me. How could I forget you? I beg you not to worry. Hear the loving, compassion heart that this husband has for his wife as she's saying, please don't forget me in your time away. And he said, how can I forget you? You're the love of my life, essentially. And yet the sentence before, he said, if it's a take care of our our son, but if it's a girl, then discard it. How commonplace it was and how different it is for you and I in the social structure and in the effect of Christianity over time. That the value of life that we have and how foreign this was for their culture. We have to be able to recognize this movement of where God is flipping the culture upside down and moving and empowering change. And again, as Eugene Peterson said, the world looked at the church and they liked what they saw. 
It doesn't stop with children. It doesn't stop with social class. It moves on into into women. You see, in in Caesar Augustus time, widows were taxed for outliving their husbands. They were they were considered drags on the economy. But then there was this new community that remembered how Jesus taught and, and treated women. And they embraced them and they welcomed them as equals. You see, Thomas Cahill says that Paul was the first person in, in, in the history of world literature to argue that all persons are created equal. Galatians three twenty eight says, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. This was, you have to imagine yourself and put yourself in the scene. This was chaotic to the cultural norms. And yet the world looked at the church and they liked what they saw. You see, women found hope. They found place. Over and over again, Paul commends the women that are coming alongside him and serving and being a part of this gospel and this movement of God that's sweeping across the world. They weren't left out and forgotten. They weren't simple servants. They were fellow servants with men in this season and in this age. And, and, and not to stop at women, you see, there were social services that were being offered in the church that the world had never imagined. Governments had never created. In 65 A.D. and in 251 A.D., there were two epidemics that swept through the world population. Historians say that a quarter to a third of the world was, was, um, was, was, was laid to waste, essentially, were killed by these epidemics. One person says that they, put, they, uh, they pushed sufferers away and fled their, their dearest, throwing them to the roads before they were dead and treated unburied uh, corpses as dirt, hoping to avert disease. That's how people were treated. One writer says this, the church was also essential in providing nursing and care for these plague victims, oftentimes at the expense of their own lives. The bishop Dionysus wrote that this was, the, this was a form of martyrdom. Whereas pagan elites and their priests simply fled and affected city, the affected city, some even leaving family members behind, Christian presbyters, deacons, and laymen stayed to provide food, water, and friendship to their neighbors. So after consecutive epidemics had swept through a city, a disproportionate number of those remaining would either have been Christians or pagans who had been mis, uh, ministered to by the Christians. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ wasn't simply some spiritual movement. It created this wave of transformation where lives were changed and where people were served and people that were considered unlovable were suddenly taken in. You see, that child that was discarded and left to the curb, that little girl, her life was celebrated just like the little boy's was. That sitting on the curb waiting for the elements to be to be left, there was hope in the world when when maybe a Christian would pass by and maybe this community of Christians would take my child in and rescue her. Maybe this this woman who's left as a as a widow can find a family again in finding protection and and care again from a group of people and a family that are simply following in Jesus ways. You see, this is what we look at in in church history. This is what we look at in a as a social movement. This is what we look at as the church being a new society unlike the world had ever seen before. And that the world looked at and said, we like it. We want to be a part of it. 
And it's not just about being a social movement or a good cause. It's about participating and encountering the spirit of God that's changing lives. They're encountering the presence of God and he's flipping everything on its head. And people are willing to lay down their lives for one another. When everything that they'd known was survival of the fittest. Get out of Dodge while you can and hope not to catch the disease that's passing through. Let me ask you, what is the, the hope that your co-workers have as they come across your life? What's the hope that, that people have when they come across my life? What are the things culturally that the Spirit of God wants to make you and I aware of that hold back the reality of what being a change agent in the kingdom of God can be? You see, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he said, when you pray, ask the Father to let heaven, let, the, let things be on earth as they would be in heaven. You know, most of what we grew up in and what I grew up in in, in cultural Christianity was about how do I get from down here up there one day? And Jesus is, is inviting and challenging his, his disciples to pray in a very different manner. He says, pray, let up there come down here. Let, let what the reality is in the kingdom of heaven where my father is reigning and is ruling and everything works in accordance with him. Let that become the reality in, in our lives. And that's what started to catch fire and spread ablaze across the Roman Empire and, and changed lives and changed hearts and culture and community stands on edge and with, with, with this ear to hear what the Christians might bring or what hope might be able to be found. Let me ask you, what hope are you finding in the gospel? What hope are you finding in coming and participating with a community, a gathering of people and expecting to have happen in your life? Because where this is a place to be able to come and, and have a, some moral standards, then you're missing the reality of the transformation that Jesus wants to bring in your life and in your community and in your relationships. And I can miss it in mine because the reality is our spiritual life is a process. It's a pro, it's this long journey. It's a trek. It's a pilgrimage to the place that where we are following and becoming like the one we follow, Jesus Christ. But we have to apply these teachings. We have to dive into the reality of scripture and say, what does this mean for me? So when we dive into the reality of this Ephesian study, it's not a Bible study like you may have done before. You're not going to open up your Bible in your group time together and say, okay, what is, you know, uh, redeemed mean in verse seven? What do you understand that to mean? That's not what this is about. That's a good thing. You see, the reality is what I've discovered in, in my time in ministry is if we talk about our spiritual growth in the Western church, we mostly say three things. And I've asked a lot of people, and these three things are what always gets said, is that if I'm going to grow spiritually, then I need to spend time reading my Bible. I need to spend time in prayer. And I need to be a part of a, a body that I can be a part of a community and worship. And those are true. But mostly, that's what we have known in the church of how we grow spiritually. And, and the problem is that's, that's a shame. Because there is so much more that God wants to do in our lives as we join him on Monday morning to be a part of his kingdom. Where we're... Where we are becoming agents and vessels for up there to come down here in the relationships that you have and that I have and that we have together. And that he's bringing us together as a body that collectively, as we are each being transformed and our character being shaped by this reality of the spirit of God working in our lives. 
then the world around us begins to change and we get to begin experiencing transformation. So in our small groups, we're moving beyond just those three things. While those three things are great and necessary, we're, we're stepping into some new ways. We're stepping into some some ways where you're challenged as you're, you know, you meet with each other to, to imagine this illustration that was just discussed on Sunday morning and unpack that illustration, discuss it. And so I'm going to give you an example of what this what this thing looks like. It's like imagine yourself back in school or in, in, in high school and you're you're in a science lab. And you, when you're in a science lab, your teacher brings you these different, you know, chemicals and things. And you get to work in a team with three or four or five people. And you get to make some stuff up and hope you don't blow up the school, right? And, and, and so you, this is more like a lab session, okay? This is a practicum that you're entering into with a group of people, and you're going out and you're trying out, what does the Lord want to do in my life this week? And you're trying to discover what his will is and join him in it. Because here's the reality. Until Jesus comes back, this is what he's always doing. He's always doing a work to reconcile or to redeem. To reconcile and redeem to reconcile that which was lost and broken and redeem this reality and relationship to him that we can join him and that our life is this life is no longer about this life. This life is but an opportunity to see up there, come down here as we give ourselves to the reality of the kingdom. And then one day we get to go from down here up there. But it's to give him glory. This is what we're going to see as we as we look at Ephesians one, you know, for the glory of this glorious glory of God to praise him. Like so my my prayer on Tuesday night is not moved from this place of Lord, let Mama T get into this country. And I felt this peace about that. But Lord, let yourself be seen through this. And as I read scripture and as I look at. Passages like Hebrews 11 that we're going to look at three or four weeks into this thing. And I just look at this. It's like this is where they were. They were living for the for God to be revealed. They were living, asking God, pleading for God, crying out for God to make himself known, to allow himself to be seen. And so, so through simple stories and amazing miracles like what we just saw with Mama T, it's just like the Lord saying, yeah, I'm here. Oh, yeah, I'm the guy who spoke and, and took something that like light that was not even in existence. And I said, let there be light. And suddenly it appeared like. I don't know if you're like me, but if you like to understand things, comprehend that. We can comprehend light because it's here. It wasn't conceived of and He just said, let there be light. And it happened. And so this was a small thing for, for him to be able to do. And we stay amazed and in awe of it. But what are the small things he wants to do in your life and my life that we're not sitting back at looking at Mama T's story and saying, oh, wow. But that we're coming together weekly and we're saying, oh, wow, listen to what just happened. Because God's real and he's big and he's alive and it's not a coincidence. But how are you choosing that? How are you moving, choosing to step into Growing and, and pursuing maturity in your faith beyond just reading your Bible and praying and, and, and coming together and worship. What are the things that the Lord is leading you of how to listen and how to imagine, how to, how to see what he's doing before you and just join him in it as he is reconciling and redeeming the world around you? Or do we mostly miss it because we've been taught to make this life about this life, but it's a lie. You see, so when we come together in these in these groups, 
in this practicum, I'm going to give, give you a little bit of what week two is like, just so that you have a kind of context and understanding. So imagine that you have someone that you're in relationship with, that you have a lot of tension with. Let's, say it's a, let's just say it's a coworker, a boss or a, a coworker that really you're ready to avoid. You want nothing to do with them. You just are tired of their their little shenanigans and whatever it is they do to push your buttons. And you just. But what if we'll just call that person Jane Doe? OK, what if. The Lord had a different plan than for you to just avoid Jane tomorrow at work. What if instead you were a part of a group that's trying to encourage each other and as you rub up against each other and discover what God might be wanting to do in your life and in your relationships and then go out on Monday morning and and participate in that? What if in your group you sat down and and you were led to kind of craft your own prayer? Individual prayer, and you fill in Jane Doe, how you're going to pray for Jane this week. There's a change. See, where the gospel is about, isn't about change in our life, then we're missing some of the reality of the gospel. It's not just a story that we hear about, the great things that come on Easter. It is a working, moving spirit of God that wants to change and transform us, as we see in the first chapter. That we are holy and blameless in his sight. Now, how many people in here feel holy and blameless today? But there is this movement that he wants to do to transform us. Our question is, are we on, on board with that plan? So in week two, you're going to sit down and you say, okay, here's a prayer. You're choosing to write yourself of how I'm going to pray for Jane. Move beyond that. Now, imagine what if Jane, and you're not going to name your Jane. That's for you to hold on to yourself, right? What if, what if. I were to imagine Jane as Jesus. What if instead of looking at Jane as this person I want to avoid, I imagine them as Jesus and recognize that there's an attitude adjustment, an attitude change that that would welcome onto the scene. That here's my Jane and here's my Jesus who is always doing a work to reconcile and redeem. And maybe, just maybe, I could step out of this life being about this life and this life being about what I think I want for me and join Jesus in his plan to be a reconciling agent. And I began to imagine Jesus as Jane, or Jane as Jesus, and I had an attitude adjustment. That's number two. So a prayer that you're praying, an attitude adjustment that God can welcome into your life. And then, in case that wasn't enough, then we imagine that Jane is Jesus and we say, okay, if this, if I'm going to treat Jane as I treat Jesus, what is an act of service that I can offer? What is a, a peace offering? What is a way that I can serve Jane this week? Instead of trying to avoid Jane, I'm actually pursuing Jane and wanting to show her um, appropriate care or affection for who she is and, and something positive. You know, you get to make it up. We're just offering you kind of the guidelines and the direction. We're just putting the banks for the water to flow through. You get to be the river of God's movement stirring in your group, and you get to do this together. If you want to grow spiritually, then then dive into a group of people that are saying, all right, let's try to encourage each other. Let's, let's, let's go see what happens as we attempt to go join God in the work that he may be wanting to do and the people that we know, and then come back next week and see how it went and see what happened. Because my hope is, and our hope is, in in 10 weeks of doing this together, you're going to encounter 
Jesus Christ in your day and in your life and in your week that hopefully is to this point that you're beginning to realize there's more to my spiritual life than simply reading my Bible and praying and being a part of a Sunday gathering. That there is a there is a God who is real and who is active and who is omnipresent. And and I began practicing what I believe. And I have others helping me and encouraging me to practice what I believe. And I get to help and encourage them in what we believe. You see, where the church, the Western culture has gotten comfortable with those three things, as great as they are, and not stepped into the greater reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news and it changes lives and it's good news to everybody around us who receives it. It's good news to our workers and our neighbors and our, our people that we run into at the grocery store that Jesus, that, that Jesus wants to be himself in you and in me in this broken and lost world that he is redeeming and restoring and up there can come down here in our reality. I'm going to tell you a story and this is not to tell you flattery of myself. This is to tell you flattery about how good Jesus is to me. Uh, about a month, five weeks ago, I was sitting in a red light and, um, and all of a sudden my car jolts forward and, uh, and I look in my rearview mirror and someone had just rear-ended me. And I was stopped at the red light and I'm not sure what they were doing, but um, obviously they rear-ended me. Thankfully they weren't going fast. There wasn't any major damage done, you know, a scratch on my bumper and and uh, and and I got to I got to go down the Segway because it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, I have I have a, a truck in the in a trailer hitch and my trailer. hitch I had this little Georgia insert, you know, those things that you see, you this little plastic thing you insert. And and the front of their car had a Notre Dame license plate. And um, and my little Georgia plastic insert just got a little crack kind of around the edges. But their Notre Dame license plate was just in shambles. Right. And so I just immediately knew this was a prophetic message and hope for next week. Right. And that God loves us here in the deep south and um, and, and is redeeming and restoring everything, hopefully even the Georgia football team. Um, but there's this there's this prophetic reality of here I am sitting at this at this accident and I get out of the car. And obviously, you know, it wasn't a major thing. I didn't have whiplash or anything. I get out and ask the person if they're OK. And we call the police and. Um, and this was 90. I mean, of course, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, 95 degrees, and it takes 45 minutes for the police to get there. So when you call 911 to report an accident, maybe don't answer when they say, is anyone injured? You know, because they are not in a hurry if you say, no, everybody's fine. Um, so and actually we had to flag a policeman down that was just driving by before the guy they were sending got there. So um, anyway, I'm sitting there with this woman and we began talking and. And I let down my tailgate and we sit on the tailgate and begin talking and and she just begins to tell me all about her life. I told her I'm a pastor, asked her what she did. She's mom and, you know, taking some classes and all this and told me some some di- difficult things and that had been a part of her life. And uh, and um, and then I get a phone call. Uh, this is about 10 days ago. I get a phone call from her and she's wanting to just like, hey, I want to settle up with this deal. And, you know, it was it wasn't a big deal. We didn't go through insurance and all that. But. She just said, I, I needed to call and, and, and tell you this, that when I drove away from our accident, I knew and she doesn't go to church. You got to get this. She doesn't not a church goer. Husband's not a church goer. Right. And she's like, I knew that I ran into a pastor for a reason. And this is an unreligious woman. Right. 
I knew that I ran into a pastor for a re- reason. And so she sat there and like almost almost a little bit like a confessional, she started telling me things that had happened in her life. And she said, I just want you to know this, that um, we looked into coming to your church and they live kind of on the other side of Canton. So it was too far. But she said, so I I decided to go to church and we've chosen a church that's close to our house and I've taken my kids to church. and They've never been to church before and they love it. And we go every week. We've been every week for the last three weeks. They've never been before, ever. And she said, I just, I just felt like I had to tell you the story because it's like there are no more nice people in the world. And, and I, I thought about it. I, there's a reason that I ran into a pastor. And, and there's something that's going on here that I don't quite understand because most people would have jumped out of their car and cussed me out. And you just asked me, how are you doing? Are you okay? And then you sat and talked to me for a while. And you're just a nice person. Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, historically, first impressions are not my strength. And and I and I pray about that because I and I kid you not, I pray about that because as the as the Lord is doing a work in my life, I don't want people that come across me for the first time to look and see somebody other than Jesus. I got to believe that when people look at Jesus, it was a good first impression. Right. And as I'm living to be a disciple of his, and hopefully as you're living to be a disciple it is of his, you're looking to have your life become different and be transformed, to live like he lives, to become like him in every way. And so for literally for the last few years, I have prayed, Lord, change people's first impression of me. And that's not to beat myself up. That's, this is not to give me credit. This is to give the spirit of God credit for the work that he does to transform lives before our very eyes, transform my own life. And so when she said, I just felt like I had to call and tell you this, it was just Jesus saying, I want to show you what I'm doing. And you don't want to miss that as he wants to show you what he's doing, because where his gospel is not becoming good news in your life and in the person that runs into you on the highway or the person that runs into you at the grocery store, you're missing the reality of the gospel. And so we're diving into something more. We're diving into something deeper. They're diving into something that you can have hope in. And that the people around you can find hope in as they look at you and they see Jesus because the gospel brings with it a hope. And we see in church history, the world was consumed with this hope. When they looked at the church, they liked what they saw. And unless they're just stuck on having to have everything go their way, if they're open in some way, then this gospel can bring a transformation of heart and character and practice. And the world can see Jesus as they've never seen it before and like what they see. So there may be some meat to the different things that we're diving into in this small group study. But don't find hope in the questions that you're asked and the things simply that you're discussing. Recognize that, you know, heck, Robert Cabrera and I wrote the questions. I'm confident the questions aren't going to get you somewhere. But we're completely confident as we wrote each question, Lord... It doesn't matter how good our question is. We could talk about the phone book. And if you want to move, you're going to move. And we trust you to move. So don't place your hope in the curriculum. Place your hope in the reality that Jesus Christ wants to restore and redeem things in your life. And that begins in your heart. And it will overflow into your life. And people will find themselves calling you up out of the blue and just saying, I just needed to tell you who you've been to me. 
And I had never seen anything like it before. Because that's what happened in the first century church. And that's what can happen in this church. And where that's not happening in this church and where then we as individuals are stepping back from the reality of what this teaches the gospel brings. That's why we're diving into Ephesians. That's why we're doing the study. And we're saying, because it's this book that just says, this is what the foundation doctrine of the church is. That all these things are done. All these blessings are available to you. Now we get to begin living in one step at a time, walking in this journey to discover the reality of Christ as he transforms us to look like himself. As our hearts are just willing and we join together to do so and encourage each other along the way. Welcome to the plan. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, your heart is to let yourself be seen here and now. Lord, where we hold back from joining you in your plan right now out of love, Lord, not for not for shame's sake, but just a healthy conviction, a healthy conviction that produces a vision for change. Lord, would you bring conviction? Lord, show us. And as we're going into this season in these groups, Lord, lead us to these things in our heart or lead us to these things that that have been a part of our Christianity that that mostly are cultural, but maybe are, are missing the mark on what we what they could be in the spiritual reality of who you called us to be. Open our hearts and our minds to to say to, to lay pride on the altar and say, yes, Lord, change me. I'm tired of being prideful. I'm tired of letting my pride and my. My, my own selfish desires and, and the things that I want out of this world and the, the hopes that I have for what this can give me next week. Lord, let those just begin to be drawn out and noticed for the darkness that they can bring over our hearts and over our relationships. And in replace, Lord, come and redeem. And where those things are dark, Lord, bring light. Bring vision for hope. And change us into agents for change. Lord, don't let us miss the mark. Thank you for the little life-giving moments like that phone call. Where you encourage us and, and just smile and say, see, I'm doing a work. Now, Lord, do a work among us. But it happened in each of our hearts, Lord. But let us become this new society. That you've come to bring. Let it overflow into the into the streets and the orphanages and the, the soup kitchens and the and the neighborhood and the driveway and on the basketball court and in the grocery store and in the workplace at the water cooler. Lord, let it sweep all across each relationship that we have. Lord, if your people who are called by your name would embrace the reality of what you are calling us to. Lord, imagine the lives that would be affected just from those in this room. So, Lord, we plead and we cry out, won't you come make yourself known? Won't you allow yourself to be seen? And let it begin with me. Let it begin with this little small church in Dallas, Georgia. Lord, we're known to be rednecks, but Jesus, let us be rednecks that are excited about your kingdom and that are looking to serve you. 
as we serve one another, as we care about one another, as we lay down our lives for one another. Lord, let it be true and real, not just some game or not just some philosophy or not just some intellectual thing that we can grasp a hold of. But Lord, let it be something we encounter as we walk out and on Monday morning, our feet hit the road. Call us out of the comfortable and into the place where you're moving. Expose the the lies and the twisted things that, that are distracting us from the reality of the life you came to bring in abundance. Let up there come down here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe the Lord is showing you a little something behind a curtain in your heart this morning. Through a Jane or through something else that that you can leave here on the altar or, or leave by sharing with the, the prayer team. So if the prayer team wants to come forward, then there'll be people on my right and left, teams of folks that, that you can come pray with and, and we'll pray for you. Also have, there's offering baskets on my right and left. If you came prepared to give an offering this morning and there's communion. So I encourage you as you come to take communion, realize and know that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And as you take that cracker that represents his broken body and and that dip it in the juice that represents his spilled out blood. Hear that same invitation. And he says, come and follow me. And if I did not come to, to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom, how much more should we? And walk out those doors expecting for the Holy Spirit to prompt you toward change. And witness up there, come down here. And God's peace and blessing. Amen.